Welcome to the Dinner Party Download. This is your icebreaker. Oh, my name is Leslie, Leslie Carroll. I'm not the kind to tell a joke, to start party conversation, not at all. That's the last thing I would do. (laughs) I'm Rico Galliano. I'm Brendan Francis Noonan. And from American Public Media, this is the Dinner Party Download, the show that helps you win your next dinner party. Our icebreaker this week came from the star of Gigi and of an American in Paris, Leslie Caron. One of the few people in the world who can start our show by not telling a joke. Indeed. Uh, Who are the others? (laughs) That's top secret. Jeez. Coming up, filmmaker and area man Robert Siegel, human bedwarmers, Jackie Mason's brother, a Guamanian caveman, food trendology, coconuts, and night control. That's a band. And a way of life. But first, time for small talk. So, Rico, in the headlines this week, the list of dead awesome people grew. It's very sad. Yeah. Um, somebody we, has to put an end to this death. Howard Zinn thing. passed away. That's right. J.D. Salinger. Um, other things grew. The iPod grew into something called the I would rather not say. It is amazing <laughs> that that name made it out of the committee stage. Unbelievable. Uh, and uh, another thing grew, the odds of the people ever having a say in a general election. Thank you, Supreme Court. <laughs> what a wonderful gift. They're brought to you by Exxon. Uh, but to increase your odds of a successful dinner party, though, we asked the folks at Marketplace to tell us some stories you might not have heard. <laughs> Eddie Hirsch, senior editor, what story are you going to be talking about this weekend? I'm going to be talking about a report that the most successful enterprise in Italy last year was the Mafia. I'm supposed to be surprised by this. Well, here's the thing. Italy's growth fell by 5%, but the Mafia ended up making a profit. But the good news is that now all businesses that cater to like the mobster demographic are going to go through the roof, right? Tommy guns. (laughs) Fedoras. Overcoats. Definitely invest in overcoats. Uh, also fishes and cannoli. Rada Bead, senior producer of the Marketplace Morning Report. What's your story? It's from Britain. Apparently because they've had such a cold winter this month, a Holiday Inn in Manchester, England, has a new service. It is a human bed warming service. <laughs> Are you sure that's a new service? Yeah, exactly. How, how does it work? Uh, pretty stupidly, I gotta say. But what they do is one of the employees of the hotel will dress in an all in one fleece sleeper suit, get in your bed for a little while, and leave. To me, this sort of sounds like Goldilocks mixed with a home invasion, you know? <laughs> What's wrong with like a human thermostat adjuster? <laughs> Amy Scott, New York Bureau Chief, what story are you gonna be talking about this weekend? Uh, a Chinese airline accidentally gave hundreds of passengers a huge discount. Like, how huge? Apparently you could buy a ticket for $2.90. <laughs> And some of those tickets were first class. This is because of like a computer glitch or something? That's what the company says, but it is going to honor the tickets. Well, that's nice of them. I hope they have pretzels on the flight. (laughs) They will, but they'll cost a thousand bucks. (laughs) And now, time for cocktails. Once again, we tell you something that happened in history and then give you a fitting drink to serve along with it. It's like history is the Titanic, except it sinks in an ocean of booze and everyone on board not only survives, they become super educated. (laughs) I used to arrange deck chairs there. That's weird. It would make a better movie, by the way. My story is a better film. Yeah. First, the history. This week in 1972, an amazing discovery was made on the island of Guam. We seriously doubt your dinner guests will have any idea what it was. Thanks to our friend Michelle Philippi, you're about to. 
On January 24, 1972, Shoichi Yokoi rose from the dead. In a manner of speaking, see, Yokoi was a sergeant in Japan's Imperial Army during World War II, and he was killed in action in 1944 when U.S. troops decimated Japanese forces in Guam. Cut to 28 years later. A couple of locals were hunting in the Guamanian Mountains when they came upon a skinny, bearded old man by a river. Surprised, he attacked them, so they clobbered him and hauled him down to the local cops. You guessed it, it was Sergeant Yokoi. He hadn't been killed. He'd been living in a cave for almost three decades. His diet? Fruit, frogs, snails, and rats. His clothes? He made himself out of tree bark. His only other possessions were an embroidered belt from his mother and a Japanese flag. Yokoi had known for years that the war was over, but like all Imperial soldiers, he'd been taught that surrender was worse than death. His first words after being sent home to Japan, quote, I am ashamed that I have returned alive. The Japanese gave Yokoi a hero's welcome. They showered him with gifts and cash, and six months after his homecoming, he got married. Until his death in 1997, he gave lectures about living simply. He once suggested golf courses should be plowed over and planted with beans. So that was the history lesson. Now it's time for the booze. I'm on the line with Jeff Pleadwell. He's the owner of Jeff's Pirate Cove in Guam. And the bar is situated not too far from Yukoi's cave. And in fact, Jeff, you actually met Yukoi on several occasions when he returned to the island. Yeah, I met him a couple times. What was he like as a person? Very quiet, very humble, very uh, smart, observant, and friendly. He was a good guy. Yeah, and he became later like a proponent of kind of clean, simple living. Yeah, he was a very, very conservative guy. I think he was probably happier up there than he was when he went back home to Japan. So, uh, forgive me for asking, but is your accent typical of Guam? No, I'm from uh, Hingham, Massachusetts, and here I'm still on the southeast coast because caused me not to lose my accent. <laughs> I knew there was something uh, off. Okay, well, usually on the show, we have a bartender create a brand new cocktail, but it sounds like you already have a drink for you, Koi, at your bar. Yes, I uh, developed this cocktail about five years ago. It's called Yokoi's Green Scene. Okay. And it's made with Captain Morgan spiced rum, mm -hmm. Midori, pineapple juice, coconut syrup, a little bit of sweet and sour, and then it's blended frozen, and it turns out green, and it's uh, <laughs> delicious. And did you make it green because he was, like, eating vegetation up there? I call it the green scene because where he was was all green bamboo. You know, his whole area there along this river, this uh, Telefofo River, was a uh, real pretty green bamboo. Yeah. And so if I wanted to um, disappear for 28 years, would you recommend Guam? Yeah, I'd recommend Palau or Guam or, you know, any of these beautiful islands out here where it's never cold. So maybe Yukoi was on to something. It's a very, very good life here. Now that sounds like a very cool gentleman. He was pretty cool, man. Guam is fascinating. Really? In fact, in researching um, this piece, I found out they discovered some other things that had been in that cave for decades. Like what? They found um, Jay Leno's jokes. <laughs> 
<laughs> they found the entire country of North Korea, <laughs> and Dick Cheney buries himself <laughs> there from time to time. Of course. They had to tell him the Cold War was over. Oh. It was tough. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, uh, would you follow us into a cave? Um, probably not. It's much easier to follow us on Twitter. We are Dinner Party DNLD. Sundance Film Festival was this week, so our guest of honor today is filmmaker Robert Siegel. He's the former editor-in-chief of The Onion. He wrote the Oscar-nominated film The Wrestler, and he wrote and directed Big Fan, which was one of the most celebrated films to come out of last year's Sundance. It was just released on DVD. Robert Siegel, welcome. Hey, nice to be here. So Big Fan, for those who don't know, is about a guy played by Patton Oswalt who has basically nothing in his life except football fandom. And I want to believe that the character was based on some ultra fan in your own life, perhaps yourself. No, no. Fortunately for me, it is not based on me. I am I'm a, I am a big football fan, but not to that extreme. I hope not. Um, is it maybe your, yourself taken to the logical extreme? I guess it could be me, uh, me extrapolated. It, it's more of a composite of just living in New York, as I've seen in the upper deck of Shea Stadium over the years. <laughs> Hematoma. The bleeding from the vein between the brain and the skull. Fortunately, we were able to successfully drain it. So I'm going to be okay? We do need to keep you another few days for observation. Another few days? How long have I been here? Three days. So the day is Sunday? Monday. How did we do? What was the score? 41-28. We gave up 41 to the Chiefs? I should say, this is not some breezy comedy. I mean, there's humor, but there, it keeps threatening to spin off into scary taxi driver territory. Yeah, it is. Um, some people watch this movie and they don't really understand how the person who worked at The Onion could um, come up with something so dark and messed up. Which is kind of ridiculous, right? Because comedians are kind of dark and messed up very often. There's no one darker than comedians. Um, Brad Pitt and George Clooney are not dark. Patton Oswalt is. You got any uh, Onion headlines that you were behind that you think were you know, a precursor to this kind of filmmaking coming out of you? Well, it's funny you ask that because um, as part of this interview, I'm supposed to think of the question I uh, I like being asked least. <laughs> and, and that's actually it. I usually you, you ask just... those questions earlier so I don't make that faux pas. <laughs> I just never have a good answer for it. When, when people ask me what my favorite Onion headline is, I, I honestly can't remember. But in my defense, I should say that is not my question. My oh. question is more like what Onion headline did you write? where the attitude behind the big fan maybe existed, like a, the dark side of Robert Siegel reared its ugly head. Oh, God. Any headline that begins with the words Area Man. <laughs> if you're an Onion reader and you're familiar with our Area Man trope, uh, Big Fan is kind of an Area Man movie. Patton Oswalt plays the ultimate Area Man. Exactly. Well, since you beat me to the punch answering our first standard question, I'm just going to ask you our second. Okay. Tell us something that we don't know, something that uh, no one at our dinner party is going to know. Well, I just learned Hitler was a vegetarian. Really? Yeah. That's an interesting factoid. It is. As far as me, I mean, everyone in your audience knows nothing about me, so I could say uh, I have brown hair, and that would be an interest. Not interesting, but something they didn't know. <laughs> that's true, although there will probably be a photo of you accompanying this podcast, so I don't think that's going to blow anyone's mind. Well, it's a headshot, so they won't know that I'm 5'11". <laughs> oh, my God. I'm tall for a Jew. Um, I'll, I'll give you some more factoids. I, I, I ate my first salad at age 24. 
at a Red Lobster. You're making that up. No, no, I, I never ate vegetables. I was a picky eater as a kid, and it extended into my uh, young adulthood. I was also uh, one of people's most eligible bachelors for 2001 <laughs> when I was at The Onion, which I got a ton of crap for. Is it, Are these really true? No, these are true. These are true. I was circumcised by Jackie Mason's brother. What? You know Jackie Mason? Yeah, he's a famous, you know, Jewish comedian. Yeah, yeah, of course. For those who don't know. He's performing in L.A., actually, as we speak, I think. Okay, well, his brother is performing a bris as we speak. <laughs> Although he's pro- I hope he's retired because his, I would imagine his hands are a little shaky by this point. Did he do an okay job with you? I don't know. I, yeah, it, it, he seemed to... It's. I have no foreskin, so <laughs> what else could I ask for? Interesting line of questioning, Rico. I just, I just went with what he gave me, dude. The end of the interview reminds me of something my mom used to say, actually. Really? That's disturbing. She would say, uh, when I was being impatient, she would say, uh, you know, it's like the Moyle said to the parents, it won't be long now. <laughs> A joke! In your face, Leslie Caron. Snuck it right in there. Thanks, Mom. Uh, there's much more making fun of people who are far more famous than us on Facebook. Become a fan there at facebook.com slash dinnerpartydownload. So we've met our guest of honor. Now it's time for the main course, the part of the show where we see what's going on in the world of food. All right, Rico, this week there was a specialty food show in San Francisco where a group of judges picked the top 10 food trends for 2010. I can't believe something like that would happen (laughs) in San Francisco, California. Surprise. So what did they predict? Well, they predicted things like, and this is like gourmet stuff, exotic citrus, gluten-free food, you know, nostalgia-based foods, nothing earth-shattering. Okay. But my attention was drawn to the title of one of the judges in this competition. Yes. Her name is Karen Nielsen, and get this, she is a food trendologist. Hmm. When I saw that, I immediately set up an interview to ask her this question. How do I get your job? Well, I have some deputy trendologists around the country, and you can apply for a badge if you like. I think it'd be pretty good. I think you'd be pretty good at it. Can't imagine what that badge looks like. All right, so last week you picked some uh, specialty food trends, and uh, one of them was coconut. How, how did you arrive at coconut? So actually, as I was walking the, the booths, what I realized is first I saw coconut in an organic green tea. So I'm like, hmm, okay. Then I start seeing coconut in a lot of the simmer sauces and sort of ingredients for making things at home, mostly from Southeast Asia. And then you see traditional coconut in more of a confection place. Uh, Then there was chocolate-covered coconut peel as a snack. So pretty soon you're thinking, okay, that's a trend. Because if it's too small, it's not a trend. If it's just happening in one place, it hasn't really expanded yet. It's something interesting to watch. But it's when it starts appearing in different forms in different places, then you know you've got a trend on your hand. Is it like fashion where there's people in the vanguard, people when you look at Vogue and you're like, who would possibly wear this? And then... Two years later, everyone's wearing S&M boots at the mall. It's exactly it. We see what the real fine dining chefs are doing, what the uh, global cuisine, what's happening in those places. And then you wait a few years and you watch as it hits the chain restaurants. And then in a few more years, McDonald's. How do you think your personal palate has maybe influenced some of your work? Oh, I have the biggest sweet tooth of anyone I know, and that has definitely influenced my work. I'm spreading the word uh, and telling people all the exciting stuff that's happening, but I also never miss an opportunity to talk about bacon chocolate <laughs> or pie. <laughs> as an outside observer, as an amateur trendologist, here's what I see. If something's really obscure, but if you can figure out an angle on it that makes it a little less other, I think that's going to be a trend. 
I, and I think a deep dive into something we already know a lot about, like Italian food, great. Then we're into Tuscan food. All right, now that's getting a little played, and then we go even further into like Sardinian food. I mean, when does it end? What's happening is America's finally waking up to how food has meaning in their lives, and they're excited and exploring. And because we don't have an indigenous set of food rules or foods that we have to stick to, we can tap the whole world. And we're just going to keep going and exploring until every little village all around the globe somehow has been exploited <laughs> for our taste benefit. And then the food trend trend will end and you won't have a job. That's right. Not a bad gig, huh? Uh, yes. It's it like it's like doing main courses all the time. <laughs> <laughs> it is almost as good a gig as Adam Clayton's, I will admit. Adam, was he the third president of the United States or something? Adam Clayton is the bassist for you two. Okay. Three notes, three gazillion dollars. <laughs> I never thought of it that way. He has definitely found what he's looking for. That is the Dinner Party Download for this week, folks. Keep up with us between shows at dinnerpartydownload.com. And if you go there right now, we have an extended interview uh, that we ran last year with the late Howard Zinn. Yes, thanks to Delassi Michalis and Nihar Patel for help setting the table. Thanks also to Bill Radke. We leave you, as always, with One for the Road, a song to play on your way to or departing from this weekend's dinner party. And here's one from our first music crush of 2010. We love you. The band... (laughs) Whoa, love. It's a crush, man. The band consists of one person It's Night Control, and this is their song, Good Looks. Bon Appetit. Rico Galliano. I'm Brendan Francis Newman. Package for the DPD from Guam. Oh, it's a box. It's in there. I don't know. Let's see. <laughs> How about Shakira with that belly dancer? I think a skirt deserved a Grammy just for hanging on. Return to sender.